Romans chapter 10. Um, all right, Romans chapter 10, we, uh, we got, I think, I think that's behind me, yeah. We got down through verse uh, 12, 13 or so last time. Um, Paul says, verse uh, 11, For the Scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. And uh, the, the point that Paul is making here, he's talking in these, in these chapters, 9, 10, and 11 here in the book of Romans, about the nation of Israel and what happened to them. Why uh, are they in the condition that they're in today? Their Messiah came. He was supposed to uh, bring in their kingdom and, and raise Israel to the head of the nations and, and bring them their glory and so forth. And obviously Israel is not the head of the nations, but they've been uh, uh, scattered and persecuted and without a nation up until very recently in, in history. And Paul's explaining that, and he's talking about the rejection of Israel, Israel's rejection of their Messiah. And he's been talking about it in the context of the sovereignty of God and how that God... Um, according to His Word and according to His own good pleasure, moves through dispensations as He sees fit. And He, he lets us know when, uh, when things are going to change, when there's going to be uh, some, a new set of instructions, and He expects us to follow uh, along with His dispensational changes. And the, the problem that man has, and in this passage that Israel had, is that you get used to the old way and it becomes a religion. And once the thing becomes a religion, then it's not about God anymore. It's about the religion. So that when God comes along and says, okay guys, now we're going to take the plan off this way. About to go on your neck. Thank you, sir. And um, then, then the religious folks say, well, no, we've always done it this way. This is our tradition. This is the tradition of our fathers. This is how, we're, uh, how we were born and raised, how we were brought up. And we're going to stick with this so that what people do, religious folk, is they end up rejecting God for the sake of their religion. And that's exactly what uh, Israel did. And that's what dispensational changes tend to bring out in people. And that's uh, a part of the reason that God does what He does. Because He expects us to follow Him. He sets up a set of rules. We obey it because they're His rules. When He changes the rules, we go along with the change because we're following God. We're not following the rules. So, so now He comes down and He says there's no difference now today between the Jew and the Greek. The same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon Him. That, by the way, was not always true. It's true now today, since Israel rejected their Messiah. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Verse 14, How then shall they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in Him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of, him, of them that preach the gospel of peace, that bring glad tidings of good things. Now, what Paul is doing here in this, uh, in this progressive chain of, uh, of logic here in verse 14 and 15 is what he's doing. He's been talking about the sovereignty of God and how that God has the right. Uh, the potter has power over the, over the clay to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor. He told us back in, in chapter 9 and coming into chapter 10 here. So now what he's doing is he's bringing the responsibility now back on to God. If God acts sovereignly, 
But that doesn't mean that that uh, that just might makes right. And because he's God, he can just do things willy-nilly and, and, and just throw curveballs all over the place and say, well, I'm God, you've got nothing to say about it. That's not how he, how he operates. What Paul's doing here, he says, God said that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Okay, now, that's God's rule. Okay, now, how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? Now, who sends the preachers? Well, God does. God ordains his preacher. So what Paul does, what he's doing here, is he takes that that chain of, of, of logic from God's command and statement that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, and he brings that back, that responsibility for that, back onto God. Because God set that rule up uh, by His own sovereign will. He takes the responsibility to send the preachers who can preach the Word so that they can hear, so that they can believe, so that they can call the way God said that they should. So God, He is sovereign, as we've been seeing for the last several weeks through these, through these verses. But He also takes responsibility for His sovereign actions. And again, because God himself is righteous and he does the right thing, and um, the result of that is that his detractors and rejectors are left without excuse. No one can say, well, Lord, you threw a curveball at me here. You told me to do this. Now you're telling me to do this. God says, yeah, that's right. So how come I'm over here and you're still over there? And now Paul, he goes on to, uh, to make the argument. So, how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. Now, we want to look at, uh, we want to look at that verse back in Isaiah chapter 52. Because you want to see who he's talking about there. Paul's not just talking about any old preacher that God sent. Sunday morning we were talking about um, why Jews don't believe in Jesus and uh, and some things about the generations, uh, the generation that lived during Christ's day and the generation that will live in the tribulation period and how those two uh, sets of people are counted as the same generation in the Bible. And one of the confusing things uh, Things one of the things that that Israel stumbles over is that the Messiah didn't come and bring in the kingdom, and that's what they say. Well, Jesus can't be the Messiah because the Messiah was prophesied to bring in the kingdom, and Jesus didn't bring in the kingdom. Therefore, Jesus is not the Messiah. What they didn't understand is that the Messiah would come first as a preacher, as a prophet, as a teacher. And ultimately, as a sacrifice for their sins, he would take care of their sin problem first. Then he would come and set up the, uh, the kingdom. All of that was prophesied, but they ignore the first set of prophecies, and they just want the second. We don't want you to deal with our sins. We don't want you coming here telling us, oh, generation of vipers, and, 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 and calling us hypocrites. We just want you to come in and bring in the kingdom and set us up like we're supposed to be. Well, they're, they're human beings. That makes sense, right? We're all, uh, our hearts are deceitful and desperately wicked. Uh, Isaiah chapter 52. Now the verse is verse 7 that Paul quotes. Isaiah 52, verse 7, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him that bringeth good tidings, that publisheth peace, that bringeth good tidings of, uh, of good, that publisheth salvation, that saith unto Zion, Thy God reigneth. But now back up, look up at the, at the beginning of this chapter and see who we're talking about here. <clears throat> Isaiah 52, verse 1, Awake, awake! Put on thy strength, O Zion. Put on thy beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city. For henceforth there shall no more come unto thee the circumcised and the unclean. 
Now see, it's in this context where Paul says there's no difference between the Jew and the Greek. And he quotes verse 7. But obviously, in the context, there's a promise here that no uncircumcised, no Greek, no Gentile will, uh, will, will enter in to the, uh, to the midst in, uh, of, of Israel. The uncircumcised and the unclean will, will not come unto thee anymore. Shake that. Now, that's one of those dispensational differences. That is not uh, applicable today. It will be one day in the future, but not today. Today, there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. Shake thyself from the dust. Arise and sit down. Arise and sit down. O Jerusalem, loose thyself. From the bands of thy neck, O captive daughter of Zion, for thus saith the Lord, You have sold yourselves for naught, and you shall be redeemed without money. For thus saith the Lord God, My people went down aforetime into Egypt to sojourn there, and the Assyrian oppressed them without cause. Now therefore, what have I here, saith the Lord, that my people is taken away for naught? They that rule over them make them to howl, saith the Lord, and my name continually every day is blasphemed. Therefore my people shall know my name, therefore they shall know in that day that I am he that doth speak. Behold, it is I. This is the Lord Jesus Christ talking here. Uh, and when verse 7 goes into how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him that bringeth good tidings, that publisheth peace, it's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. It says unto Zion, Thy God reigneth. The one that was going to come and reign was going to be God. Uh, the watchman shall lift up his voice, etc. Uh, look at... Um, Turn over to Zechariah chapter 14. Turn over to the right, almost to the end of your Old Testament before Matthew, a couple of books. Zechariah chapter 14. And there's a similar statement here. <clears throat> How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him that uh, that preacheth glad tidings. Now whose whose feet are gonna be are gonna come down upon the mountains? The Lord's. Uh, Zechariah chapter fourteen, Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, and thy spoil shall be divided in the midst of thee, for I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken, and the houses rifled, and the women ravished, and half of the city shall go forth into captivity, and the residue of the people shall not be cut off uh, from the city. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when He fought in the day of battle. And His feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west. And there shall be a very great valley, and half the mountain shall be moved toward the north and half of it toward the south, and you shall flee into the valley of the mountains. Now there's when... He who comes uh, uh, with those beautiful feet upon the mountains preaching peace, when he comes to deliver the nation of Israel from that, uh, from that attack of all the armies of the world surrounding them, and they have no way out, just like when they left Egypt, like he talked about in, in Isaiah 52, and they were backed up against it, and they have no way out. The Lord Jesus Christ comes down on that Mount of Olives, the same place, the same spot where He ascended up from, and He comes down there, and that mountain splits in two and, and creates a, an escape. Just like uh, Moses split the Red Sea in half, the Lord Jesus Christ comes down and splits that mountain in half and, and allows the nation of Israel to escape. So that's... That's what they're looking for, that, that kind of mighty appearing. But what they didn't get was the, the gentle and the humble and the soft appearing. When he would come and uh, bruised reed, he would not break. And a smoking flax, he would not quench. And uh, uh, when he wouldn't make noise in the street, when he came as a, uh, as a humble servant they miss that whole uh, uh, that whole wonderful aspect of the prophecy back in in Romans chapter 10 so when they complained 
He didn't do what God said he was going to do. Yes, he did. And that's Paul's point here. He did exactly what God said he was going to do. You just didn't, uh, didn't want to believe that, um, that the Lord was, was, was dealing with you that way. Back in Romans chapter 10. And they shall, uh, how shall they preach? Verse 15, except they be sent, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of him that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. See, the gospel came and it was preached to them. But they did not all obey. You see that term, not all? You remember that from when Paul said back in chapter 9, they are not all Israel that are of Israel. And that's what he's saying here. They have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed our report? So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Now, that quote from Isaiah, come back again right where we were, because Paul is just reading down the passage in Isaiah 52. That quote is out of Isaiah 53, verse 1. Paul is giving us a... uh, uh, a study here in this portion of the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 52 was awake, awake. And uh, verse 7, how beautiful uh, are the feet and so forth. Look at verse 10 of 52. The Lord hath made bare His holy arm in the eyes of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Now that's talking about the second coming. And His holy arm is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the holy arm of God. How do you know that? Chapter 53. Paul quotes, Who hath believed our report? Isaiah says. And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Now, you can't read a passage like that and allow the excuse that of, of, of an Israelite that God didn't tell us. See, this is what Paul is, is bringing out here. And, and Isaiah starts out the passage saying, Who hath believed our report? <clears throat> and he tells the reason. To whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant. Not the, uh, the mighty arm of the Lord that they were expecting, but the gentle and gracious arm of the Lord extending salvation. And that's not what they were looking for. Um, Back again in Romans chapter 10. Paul is making the argument that Israel is without excuse. It is not as though God didn't tell them. It's not as though it's not in their scriptures. You talk to a Jewish person today and, and, and you tell him about Jesus and he says, well, that's the New Testament. We don't believe in that, in that New Testament. Well, I'll tell you what. Let's put the New Testament away and let's talk about, let's talk about your Bible and, uh, and, and the, the glaring uh, representations of the Lord Jesus Christ that are throughout that book from Genesis 1 to, uh, to Malachi. Uh, all the way through that, that, that Jewish book. And yet they wouldn't believe because, what does Paul say? Back in, in chapter 10 earlier on, verse 2, he says, For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness 
and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. So there it is. The religion gets in the way and stands between the man and God. And he prefers his religion. He prefers his own righteousness. He prefers to, to be good enough by whatever means that, that assumes rather than to drop to his knees and say, God, I am not good enough, but your righteousness extends salvation to me. And Christ is that stumbling stone for that nation. Paul goes on. Verse 16 again, But they have not all obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah saith, The Lord who hath believed our report. So it was prophesied that they wouldn't believe. So then, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Now, that's a great verse. We all that's all one of our one of our favorites, right? Romans ten seventeen. So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. That's a good verse. You mark that verse, you remember it, you memorize it, you remember where it's at. Faith is not something that uh, you just shut your eyes real tight and you say, I'm going to believe. I believe, I believe, I believe that, uh, that my car is going to make it through, uh, you know, through the end of the week. I believe that uh, I'm going to get this job that I'm, I believe, you know, there's a lot of things you can, you can believe, but that's not faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. You put your faith in, a, in, in the Scripture, in, in what God says. That's what faith is. What God has promised, He is able also to perform. Not just any old thing I go and grab out of the air and hope for. That's not faith. That's not Bible faith. Faith is believing what God says. That's what faith is. Faith com- and faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Do you lack faith? Do you have a, is, that a, is that a weakness for you? It's a, it's a primary attribute of this dispensation and of every dispensation. So if it is a weakness for you, it's something that you need to uh, you need to face and you need to deal with. How do I do that? Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. How do I get faith? How do I strengthen my faith? That's how you do it. It comes from this book. This book is alive. The word of God is quick and powerful, and it and it enters into you. And the Holy Spirit comes up off uh, of these pages as you read what God said. And He ministers to you. And He will minister faith to you. And He will strengthen uh, your faith. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. So now that is, in its context, uh, going back to that chain that He said. How shall they call on Him in whom they have not believed? So you've got to have faith. But the, the, the way to get faith is by hearing, and the way to, to, to hear is have the Word of God preached to you. And all that happened. God sent the preacher. He sent the Lord Jesus Christ with the beautiful feet upon the mountain. Now, He didn't come and split that mountain in half, but He went up there and He said, Blessed are, right? Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth, and blessed are they that mourn. That's what he did when he went up on the mountain the first time. But that's not what they were expecting. Verse 18, But I say, have they not heard? Yes, verily, their sound went into all the earth, and their words unto the end of the world. But I say, did not Israel know? First Moses saith, I will provoke you to jealousy by them that are no people, and by a foolish nation I will anger you. But Isaiah is very bold, and saith, I was found of them that sought me not. I was made manifest unto them that asked not after me, but to Israel he saith all day long, I have stretched forth my hands unto a disobedient and gainsaying people. All right, now, I want you to limber up your fingers with me, and let's, let's do some running. Um, have they not heard? Now, what, what Paul is doing, have they not heard? Did they not know? Come back to Isaiah again, chapter 40 this time. He is alluding to this passage of Scripture right here in Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40, now you know about the book of Isaiah, right? The book of Isaiah is a, is a, is a Bible in miniature. 
There are 66 chapters in the book of Isaiah. How many books are there in your Bible? 66. The first 39 chapters of the book of Isaiah is about is fire and brimstone and judgment and uh, and all of those things, just like the Old Testament is. As soon as you get here to chapter 40 and beyond, all of a sudden it it, it gets gracious and it and it starts talking about redemption, just like as you uh, go into that 40th book of your Bible and you turn over into your New Testament into Matthew, um, the 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 tone changes so much so that people say, well, you know, I don't like the God of the Old Testament. I much prefer the God of the New Testament. Well, it's the same God. Again, he's working one part of his plan here when it when the fullness of the time has come, when it when the time comes to to start this part of his plan, then he does that. Uh in in the book of Isaiah, people contend um uh, uh, in rare cases, certainly not the it's not the consensus, but people contend that there's two different writers. That's how different it is between the first 39 chapters and the uh, and chapter 40 and beyond. And chapter 40 in the book of Isaiah starts out, Comfort ye, comfort ye my people, saith your God, speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem, and, and cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished and her iniquity is pardoned, for she hath received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. So that's that judgment uh, behind. The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his uh, straight in the desert a highway for our God. Who's that? Who's the voice of one crying in the wilderness? John the Baptist, as you open into your New Testament. John the Baptist shows up. Just like as you turn into Isaiah chapter 40, the first person you see is John the Baptist. <clears throat> the voice, verse 6, the voice said, cry. I said, what shall I cry? And he, and he, and he uh, gives this preacher uh, the words to say. Now, verse 21 is where Paul gets... His have they not known, have they not heard. Verse 21, have you not known, have you not heard? See, that's where Paul's thought is in Romans chapter 10 where we are. Hath it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he that sitteth upon the circle of the earth. Mark that verse next time someone tells you your Bible thinks the world is flat. It is he that sitteth upon the circle of the earth, and the inhabitants thereof are as grasshoppers that stretcheth out the heavens as a curtain, and spreadeth them out as a tent to dwell in. He says again, verse 28, Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard, that the everlasting God, the Lord, the Creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary, there is no searching of his understanding? He giveth power to the faint, and to them that have no might, He increaseth strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles, and they shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. So the... uh, uh, this is where Paul's mind is here. He, he's really here in the book of Isaiah as he's telling us about Israel's state and condition. And I want you to notice what, I, what, uh, what the verse says here again in verse 21. Have you not known? Have you not heard? Hath it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? Now, Paul just said, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Now you and I know that the word of God didn't start in in proper until uh, until Moses. Moses wrote Genesis and the first five books of the Bible, right? Some uh, some two thousand plus years into human history. So how is it that Isaiah here says you've known and you've heard from the beginning, and you've understood from the foundations of the earth? Well, that's the same thing Paul says. I turn while well, I'm turning there back to Romans 10. Turn to Psalm 19, and let me read you again what Paul said in Romans 10. Romans chapter 10, verse 18. You're going to Psalm 19. Paul says, "But I say, have they not heard? Yes, verily, their sound went into all the earth." 
and their words unto the ends of the world. Now Paul is quoting Psalm 19 here. Psalm chapter 19, the 19th Psalm. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth His handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Here's where Paul quotes. Their line is gone out through all the earth, and their words unto the end of the world. In them hath he set a tabernacle for the sun. Just like Isaiah said, you heard from the foundations of the earth, the Lord who created heaven and earth and spread the heavens out as a tent for men to dwell in. He's talking Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 40, David in Psalm chapter 19, Paul in Romans chapter 10. They're all talking about the same thing. They're talking about that revelation of God that was written in the heavens from the creation of the earth. That people and and, uh, uh, Satan have taken now, since we have the Word of God, and corrupted and turned into astrology and zodiac and and all of those other kinds of things. Those, Those things were put there by God before there was a written Word. And the heavens tell the story of the Lord Jesus Christ of how He will come and and vanquish the serpent, how He'll be born of a virgin, how, he will, how He'll come and undo the, all the things that, uh, that Satan came in and broke. All of that is written in the stars. Now, we don't need to be looking up into, into that stuff because we have the written Word of God now. And the psalmist goes on to say, The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament showeth His handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech. Night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. You know, you... you, you wonder and you hear objections. You know, uh, Moses didn't write the, the Bible until, you know, so and so BC. Well, long before him, there were, there were the Phoenicians and the Samaritans and the Sumerians and, the, and all of these people who had similar stories. So Moses, he just took it, he copied all of that stuff that was in the pagan culture of the day and put his own little twist on it. Well, the fact of the matter is that there was one story from the beginning. That all the people, since Noah and his family came off the ark and overspread the earth, they all had the same story to start with. And it got perverted and twisted as it goes. But that's why you see elements of similarity in all different cultures spread over the face of the whole earth. Because the story is the same. It starts with the same seed and with the same germ. And the speech and the knowledge that the day and the night utter speaks in every language. Every culture, every language knows uh, about the stars. We're hearing all about the, uh, the, uh, the Aztecs and, 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 and their calendar and, and, and all of that kind of stuff and what great astronomers they were. They weren't astronomers, they were astrologers. They were very good observers. But all of that stuff was was for their pagan worship and their sacrifice and and, and, and awful bloody stuff that they were doing back there. But every culture knows and knew that there were that there were there was truth in the stars. The problem is they took it and they corrupted it. It's in it he hath set a tabernacle for the sun that is in the heavens, which as a bridegroom coming out of his bride chamber, I'm in verse 5, and rejoiceth as a strong man to run a race. His going forth is from the end of heaven and his circuit unto the ends of it, and there is nothing hid from the heat thereof. Okay, so that's that. The heavens uh, speak and show knowledge night unto night, day unto day. That's the first six verses. Then verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. And the Word of God 
takes the place of that earlier revelation. And but but Paul is saying what Isaiah said, what David is saying here is that you all you knew from the beginning. You knew from the beginning it wasn't just the Bible who told you that the Messiah was going to come and as a as a, a suffering servant first the heavens told you that from the time of Adam. You knew. There's no language where their voice is not heard. It wasn't just to Israel, it went out to the whole world back in Romans 10. So God has left again any detractor or rejecter without excuse. The message has gone out. The message was there before man was there. When man was created, when Adam was created, a full-grown adult, he wasn't there, and then he was there. He opened his eyes, and he knew that God had just created him. When that happened, the story was there. It was there. There was never a time when God has not had a witness on this earth. Back in Romans 10, verse uh, 18 again, But I say, have they not heard? Yes, verily, their sound went into all the earth, and their words unto the ends of the world. But I say, did not Israel know? First Moses saith, I will provoke you to jealousy by them that are no people, and by a foolish nation I will anger you. So Moses told them, and we won't go back and look at the, at the passage, he's quoting uh, Deuteronomy 32. And Moses told them way back there, before they left the desert and crossed over Jordan into the promised land, that God is going to anger you with a foolish nation. Now, come with me to uh, get Matthew chapter 21 and Luke chapter 12. And let's make sure we, we understand who that nation is. Matthew 21 in one hand, Luke chapter 12 in the other. Because some folks will tell you, and sort of understandably so, that he's talking about the Gentiles. Because Paul's kind of theme through this book has been no difference and the salvation of God is now sent to the Gentiles and so forth. The foolish nation is not the Gentiles. Number one, the Gentiles are not a nation. The Gentiles are the nations. The Gentiles are never referred to as a nation. They're, they're, they're all nations outside of Israel. The, the foolish nation is the remnant of Israel, that Jewish remnant, Peter, and those guys who believed on the Lord Jesus and were taken out of the rejecting nation proper. Uh, Matthew chapter 21, Jesus is uh, speaking to those guys, the rulers, the scribes and the Pharisees, um, the representatives of the nation. And he says, uh, verse 42, Matthew twenty-one forty-two. Jesus saith unto them, Did you never read in the Scriptures the stone which the builders rejected? The same has become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing it, and it is marvelous in our eyes. See, it was prophesied that the builders, the leaders, the elders, would reject the one who would become the cornerstone. Therefore, I say unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you, Israel, nation, and given to a nation, bringing forth the fruits thereof. So the Lord tells them here, uh, the scribes and Pharisees, that I'm going to take the kingdom of God away from you. You are not getting your kingdom that you're expecting to see. And I'm going to give it to another nation. Now what other nation would that be? France? Germany? USA, Luke chapter 12, who gets the kingdom? Who is that nation, that foolish nation that Moses warned them about? Luke chapter 12, talking to, uh, talking to the disciples here now. Verse 31, Jesus speaking to the, to the disciples, But rather seek ye the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. 
So he tells the scribes and the Pharisees, The kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation, bringing forth the fruits thereof. By the way, the Gentile nations were by no means bringing forth the fruits of the kingdom. It's these guys, it's this little flock of believers that are uh, counted as a nation out of a nation. And, and God uh, rejects the nation who rejects him and, and takes instead out of that nation uh, um, a small remnant. And he makes his nation out of them. Peter, James, John, the disciples, all of those guys become the true nation of Israel. And the kingdom, and the kingdom uh, eludes that nation that it was promised to because it was at hand for them and they rejected it. They said no. So God said, okay, I'll give it to these guys. Back in Romans 10, let's close that up. Um, so, but Moses told them that that was going to happen. Moses said, Did not Israel know? Verse 19, Romans 10:19. First Moses saith, I will provoke you to jealousy by them that are no people, and by a foolish nation I will anger you. A foolish nation. They, they, they looked at Peter and those guys and they said, These are ignorant and unlearned men. These guys are fools. They're not like us, the educated Pharisees with our, with our degrees and our, and our flowing robes and, and, and all of these things. These guys are common fishermen. They're fools. But Isaiah is very bold. We're back to Isaiah again. And saith, I was found of them that sought me not. I was made manifest unto them that asked not for me. Now let's take a look at that in uh, Isaiah chapter 65. If nothing else, after tonight you're going to know where the book of Isaiah is. Isaiah chapter 65. You, you, you want to understand. You say, why do we do this? We just read, Paul just quoted the passage. Why do we have to come over here to the original and, and look at where he quoted it from? You, you, need, you want to understand when you're studying your Bible, any time the New Testament quotes the Old Testament, never just pass that up and say, oh, okay, well, that, that was a quote and I see where that fits and keep going. It, 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 it's pointing you back there. It'll give you one verse... Out of a out of a passage that relates and that fills out what the what the writer is trying to say, when Jesus hung up on that cross and he said Eli Eli lama sabachthani, he was quoting the twenty second Psalm. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Now we can look at that and we can say, Oh poor Jesus, God forsook him and move on, or we can go back there to the twenty second Psalm and read that whole account of what the Lord Jesus Christ was thinking and what was going on in his head and in his heart and his mind and in his spirit and the battle that he was engaged in as he hung up on that cross. The details are laid out there for you in the twenty second Psalm. The Lord quotes the first verse. He's pointing you back there. Go back and read it if you want to know what's going on right now with me, right here as I'm hanging on this cross. Here's where you go to find it. So never just pass up these quotes. Whenever you see the New Testament quoting the Old, go back and look. Isaiah chapter 65. He quotes right off the bat, I am sought of them that ask not for me. I am found of them that sought me not. I said, Behold me, behold me, unto a nation that was not called by my name. Again, that's the Lord Jesus Christ. Look, I'm here. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. I have spread out my hands all the day unto a rebellious people that walketh in a way that was not good after their own thoughts. Now we're about out of time here, so let's get the get the meat of this thing. Um, Look at um, look at verse eight. Thus saith the Lord, as the new wine is found in the cluster, and one saith, Destroy it not, for a blessing is in it. So will I do for my servants' sake, that I may not destroy them all. You see, you've got a cluster, and in the in the passage there, it's it's good to be thrown away, destroyed, but. There's, there's something good in it. There's a few grapes. There's a handful of grapes in the cluster that you can get the new wine from. So he says, don't destroy the whole cluster for the, for the, for the remnant's sake. That's what Isaiah is telling them here. Look, you guys, are the, you're the cluster. 
And there's a there's 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 a, a good seed in you, and I'm going to extract that, and the rest of it is going to get cast out. As the new wine is found in the cluster, and one saith, Destroy it not, for a blessing is in it, and that's why Israel was not destroyed 2,000 years ago. So will I do for my servants' sake, that I may not destroy them all, and I will bring forth a seed out of Jacob, and out of Judah, an inheritor of my mountains, and mine elect shall inherit it, and my servants shall dwell there. So there's that nation coming out of the, uh, the nation proper. Uh, Sharon shall be a fold of flocks, the valley of Achor, a place for the herds to lie down in, for my people that have sought me. I am found of them, I am sought of them that ask not for me. My people that have sought me, in verse 10, is going back to verse 1. But ye, verse 11, are they that forsake the Lord, that forsake my holy mountain, that prepare a table for that troop, and that furnish the drink offering unto that number. And specifically, he's talking about Antichrist, yet in the future when Israel aligns itself with his army. Therefore will I number you to the sword, and you shall all bow down to the slaughter, because when I called, you did not answer. When I spake, you did not hear but did evil before mine eyes, and did choose that wherein I delighted not. Therefore thus saith the Lord God, Behold, my servants shall eat, but ye shall be hungry. Behold, my servants shall drink, but ye shall be thirsty. Behold, my servants shall rejoice, but ye shall be ashamed. Behold, my servants shall sing for joy of heart, but ye shall cry for sorrow of heart, and shall howl for vexation of spirit. And there's that that, that separation there. And he says, okay, here's you, Israel, and here's my servants that I'm going to take out of you. And they're going to be blessed and you're going to be cursed. Um, Now, close up with me, if you would, just a little bit to the right in uh, Ezekiel. Three or or four books to the right. Chapter 20. Because I want to... I want to take the time here to, to, to give you the idea when... Isaiah says, by inspiration of the Holy Ghost, and Paul quotes, All day long have I stretched forth my hand unto a disobedient and gainsaying people. You want to understand the long-suffering of God toward this nation. Um, Ezekiel chapter 20 And we don't have time to read through the whole passage, but I would encourage you to do that. But let's just look at some of these, uh, a couple of these verses here. Um, Ezekiel chapter 20, uh, verse 5, And say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, In the day when I chose Israel, and lifted up my hand unto the seed of the house of Jacob, and made myself known unto them in the land of Egypt, When I lifted up my hand unto them, saying, I am the Lord your God. Drop down, verse 8. But they rebelled against me, and would not hearken unto me. They did not every man cast away the abomination of their eyes. Neither did they forsake the idols of Egypt. God told them, throw away your idols when they were coming out of Egypt, and they didn't do it. Then I said, I will pour out my fury upon them to accomplish mine anger against them in the midst of the land of Egypt. But... I wrought for my namesake that it should not be polluted before the heathen uh, among whom they were, in whose sight I made myself known unto them, bringing them forth out of the land of Egypt. So before they ever left Egypt, they angered God and He said, I'm going to destroy them. And then He stopped Himself. And He said, no. Look, read on. Um, Verse uh, uh, in the the wilderness, verse 10, Wherefore I caused them to go forth out of the land of Egypt, brought them into the wilderness, verse 13. But the house of Israel rebelled against me in the wilderness. They walked not in my statutes, they despised my judgments, which if a man do, he shall even live in them. And uh, my Sabbaths they greatly polluted. Then I said I would pour out my fury upon them in the wilderness to consume them. But... 
I wrought for my name's sake, that it should not be polluted before the heathen in whose sight I brought them out. Verse uh, down, verse 21. Notwithstanding, the children of Israel rebelled against me. They walked not in my statutes, neither kept my judgments to do them, which if a man do, he shall even live in them. They polluted my Sabbaths. Then I said, I will pour out my fury upon them to accomplish mine anger against them in the wilderness. This was later on. Nevertheless, I withdrew my hand and wrought for my name's sake that it should not be polluted in the sight of the heathen. So over and over, and then he takes them into the land and you get the same, uh, uh, the same thing. Over and over and over again, the nation provokes God and provokes Him and provokes Him and over and over again, they bring Him to the brink of, of, of destroying them. And he stops himself and he, key, he holds himself back over and over and over again. So when Isaiah says, and Paul quotes, all day long, I have stretched forth my hand to a disobedient and gainsaying people. This is what he's talking about. And close it up in the last, uh, in verse 33 and, and a few verses here. As I live, saith the Lord, God surely with a mighty hand and with a stretched out arm and with fury poured out will I rule over you. And I will bring you out from the people and I will gather you out of the countries whether you are scattered with a mighty hand and with a stretched out arm and with fury poured out. And I'll bring you into the wilderness of the people and there I'll plead with you face to face. Verse 38, I will purge out from among you the rebels and uh, them that transgress against me. So the, so the wrath of God is coming yet upon that nation. But He has been long-suffering all the while, withholding judgment, withholding judgment, withholding judgment. And today, in this dispensation of grace, is the greatest example of that yet. When the wrath of God was supposed to be, was scheduled, was prophesied to be poured out on that nation, again, He said, Stop. And he stopped the prophetic program, and instead of pouring out that fury, and that, by the way, is a baptism by fire when you talk about pouring out his fury, he poured out his grace. And he offered salvation to Jews and Gentiles alike. And we live today in a dispensation of the grace of God. When this day is over, that wrath is going to fall. As sure as I live, God says, my fury is going to be poured out. But today is not that day. Praise God. We're done. Heavenly Father, we, uh, we thank You, Lord. We thank You, Father, that as glorious as Your righteous judgment is, that Your grace abounds much more. We thank You, Father, that we were brought into this world in this time, in the time when the world is reconciled to You by Your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. I pray, Father, because there's not a language where that truth is not known in one way, shape, or form, Lord, that, uh, that the eyes of this world would be opened and that, uh, that we few here in this room would have the glory of being a a small part of that as we go out and rub shoulders with, uh, with a lost and dying world. I pray that you'd keep us mindful. And thank you. In Christ's name. Amen.